Welcome into this edition of EMA Radio as Alec and I go live again. And uh, in an effort to give you something to do as you try and pass away the last few hours of the work week and also to make things easier to me so I don't have to directly upload the video to YouTube. It's just already there. Uh, so I like to be transparent with that. Also, in the uh, effort of transparency, uh, didn't do anything on Wednesday. One, because Alec was coming back from Ames with Gabe, uh, but mainly also uh, I, I am a, I'm a wuss when it comes to like minor inconveniences with health. I can power through the serious stuff, but when it comes to things like colds or uh, in my case, what I believe is like a sinus infection, uh, I've been battling like a, you know, just an annoying sore throat the last couple of days. And I was not sure that I could handle talking for an extended period of time on Wednesday. So uh, I just was like, okay, we'll hold it off. We'll, we'll hit it hard on Friday. And here we are. That's exactly what we're doing. We're going to hit it hard. So uh, we will get ready to kind of recap some of the things that went down in Ames on Tuesday, because I think even though like things have passed since that moment, I think that there are some takeaways from that game where you can see where the issues moving forward probably sit for K-State and things that could ultimately hold them back in some situations and then also we'll of course get to talking about Florida and what kind of situation that presents for K-State this weekend and then uh, we'll hit on some bigger things to, to move forward and kind of get ready for next week I mean next week is another big week for K-State um, this is a brutal stretch in the Big 12 and uh, it was it was pointed out to me by KSU underscore fan but K-State in the first half of Big 12 play Five of their nine games will be played on the road at teams that are in the top six of the league. So they will have played at Kansas, at Iowa State, at Texas, at Baylor, um, in, and at TCU in the first half of league play. So it's either a blessing or a curse that, that says, hey, you've already got them out of the way and you don't have to worry about those down the stretch or – man, you kind of got banged around in the first half of the season, unlike some of the other teams did. Um, because, again, everybody's going to go on the road, but the chances of K-State having to play five of the uh, top six teams, them being one of them, uh, in the first nine games of league play uh, seems significant, and it seems like the chances of that are a little rare. You know, I'm sure there are teams out there that have, have played four of the teams on the road, but having all five of those, which will conclude on Tuesday at Kansas – seems significant moving forward. So a lot to get into with all of that. Uh, let's start off with this, though. Uh, Alec, how was your, your trip to Ames? Uh, you, well, we can talk about the game later, but what did you think of it since you didn't give Jack Tri Stadium as negative as a review as I thought you would have? So uh, what are the thoughts of Ames, Iowa as a basketball town? Well, Houghton Coliseum is the ugliest basketball stadium I've ever seen from the exterior in my life. It's just like a massive concrete building it has zero character but the inside i think is really cool um i like how the the roof or the ceiling i guess you should say is like these wooden panels um and i think it's cool how it's like octagonally shaped or whatever shape it's in which i think is kind of cool and unique and it's it's really big on the inside it feels like it's really big and really spacious a lot of times i feel like how like basketball arenas these days um are meant to feel like kind of compact but hilton's like really big and spacious so i thought that was kind of cool as well and i know gabe kind of felt the same way, um, good environment, not the greatest environment that I've been in. Um, Bramlage has definitely been louder um, this season, despite it being a smaller arena. And that's I'm excluding the Kansas game from that just because I don't think it's fair to kind of yeah. like hold Bramlage to that standard. Every every arena in the country gets louder and gets more up for one game a year than others. And obviously at K-State, that's the Kansas game. Uh, but yeah, it was a good environment. Got loud a few times and 
they're obviously pretty happy that their home team won a pretty big game for Iowa State, and it moves them into a tie for first place atop the Big 12 standings with K-State. Yeah, well, and and your boys in Austin. So don't don't count out the Longhorns because they're tied up there too now. Three-way tie. So I know how much you like Texas, and uh, you were really sad when Chris Beard got fired. You thought that was the wrong move. I did not say that. <laughs> did you yeah. not put that on me? The last thing I need is people in my mentions talking about how I supported alleged domestic <laughs> yeah. abuser and whatever. So no, please do not put that on me. Yeah, no, uh, Alec did not say that. I just wanted to see how he would react to it. Also, real quick, I don't want anybody uh, getting any wrong ideas. I'm supporting uh, Inwasu Golf today. So there you go. Uh, Northwestern Oklahoma State University. Ride Rangers Ride. Uh, Got to throw that out there. And uh, we'll, we'll wish the, the best to my brother with his spring season coming up there. Well, so, I mean, you got to hear uh, what that crowd sounded like. I was confused when you guys sent the text about the Juicy Wiggle. Um, and that just seems like a really weird, odd, confusing thing that Iowa State people do that they it think is weird. fun. Uh, it looked, it looks weird. It looks stupid. Um, but also, like if that's what you're going to do and that's your thing, I get it. Get behind it. Uh, what did you think of the juicy wiggle? I was just very confused. I felt like I was in a flash mob. Everyone kind of started doing the same dance, and the song was odd, and it was nothing I had heard of. Um, so that was weird. I think Gabe and I both like, like, what is going on? Like, what is this? And then. No one was able to answer my message on Twitter about it because I have no Iowa State fans yeah. that follow me as far as I know. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, so I was just very confused. And then Gabe kind of Googled it and found it online. And he sent it over and I did some brief reading on it. I don't really understand it all. But um, yeah, kind of interesting that they have their own little dance thing that they do after games. Good for them. It's kind of cool to have traditions. Everyone's got their own things, whether it's K-State after win doing Wabash or Texas fans singing, you know, the eyes of Texas or um, whatever other traditions exist across college basketball in the country. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting one, um, maybe a more like modern and less traditional celebration that people do because there's no like singing yeah. the alma mater or whatever. But it was kind of cool. Uh, you've gotten the FKU experience and then you got an FK state while you were in Ames. Uh, were you surprised when that got busted out? And, uh, what was that like being on the opposite end of it? Where obviously now you've covered a team that chanced that to another school. And did you expect for it to happen to K state at all? I didn't expect it to happen. Um, I thought that the Iowa state fans didn't come out to the game with very much love in their hearts, uh, not to take a direct shot at Jerome Tang, but you put that one on a golf tee, Coach Tank, so I'm just going to drive it 300 yards down the middle mm-hmm. of the fairway like your brother Matt probably does for no. Uh But, yeah, it, I don't know. I, younger me, college me, high school me, I think was like, you know, those are fun. I get it. We want to do it. But older me, now that I'm a year out of college, I think I kind of understand why certain administrations and why adults, unfortunately, I should probably be classifying myself as an adult now and no longer a kid, can understand why – um, the FKU, the FK State, the um, inappropriate things that can be yelled in unison by a student section maybe aren't the most ideal thing for the home crowd to have to deal with. Yeah. I think it's tough. It makes it tough on a viewing experience. There's obviously a lot of kids that go to these games, and I don't think you necessarily want some seven or eight-year-old kid asking what said chant means. Uh, but yeah, you know, do whatever you got to do to get in the head of the opponent. And that's one of those chants, in my opinion, where it's like the players don't really care. Like, I don't really think no. Kansas fans really care or Kansas players or Bill Self are taking great offense to the chant, particularly the players. I, I would imagine like if I was Jalen Wilson and 
I'm going to Bramwich. Like, I think it, yeah. I think it would be kind of funny. Like, I'd probably make fun of them all um, for yelling such a thing if I was Keontae Johnson. Be like, wow, you guys are losers. Like, you're yelling FKC. Like, that's hilarious. That, like, that's the most creative thing you can come up with. I mean, do some research. Yell some, yell some things that you had to look up. But yeah, I, I get it. I understand why people don't like it. And I do hope it doesn't become a trend across the country because, like, Mizzou obviously picked up the FKU thing. Yeah. Um, now it looks like Iowa State has picked up the <laughs> FKU thing but put their own modern twist on it. So, yeah. Well, well you know, uh, I guess that's just how it ends up working out. All right, as for the game itself, K-State, I mean, I, I didn't think they played well in this game. Marquise Noel played well after the first little bit. He turned the ball over three times early in the game, only had one the rest of the way. And he did a lot of things to keep K-State in it. Ish Masood was good again, but K-State kind of struggled in a lot of other categories. And I think there are two ways to look at this where it's either, A, hey, you kick yourself because you just let one get away that you could have had and steal that maybe a lot of other teams in the league aren't going to get. Um, because Iowa State and K-State, as it stands now, um, they're the only two teams left in the league that still haven't lost a home game uh, this year. Um, so that's significant, and that means a lot of teams are going to go to Hilton and, and come away with a loss. So K-State's not unique in that, but they had a chance there. On the other side, you can look at it and say, okay, we just went on the road to a team that is likely going to be in the top 10 on Monday. I know Alec hates the AP, but they'll be in the top 10. Uh, they're, they're playing good basketball, and we played one. We played pretty poorly, yet we only lost by four. We had a chance to win at the end of the game. Which way do you view what took place in Ames on uh, on on Tuesday? Yeah, they definitely didn't play their best game of the season. I feel like that's pretty fair to say. But I would also just say, like defensively, I didn't think K-State had their best game at all. Um, they struggled to get stops against a team that um, is not one of the better offensive teams in the country. I believe they're in the 80s in terms of efficiency numbers. Obviously, Caleb Grill ends up playing, despite what TJ Altelberger said on Monday before the game about him not practicing. Obviously, he fought through a lot of pain. He ended up going back to the locker room at one point. Also, um, what are the chances? Like, he's done nothing the entire game, and then he gets the ball out to him, and he throws up what's a terrible shot with plenty of time on the shot clock late in the game. And, of course, the one shot that he's able to make goes down. That that was just so pure, and, of course, that's that's what would happen to K-State there. Just un- unbelievable. But at the same time, K-State didn't do a very good job of defending the other Iowa State players. No, who they did not. have been circled um, to be important contributors for them. I think that's hot, highlighted by nobody more than Gabe Kalshry, who finishes with 19 points. Um, makes I think it was 2 of 5 from 3. So that was obviously a really big game for Kalshry and Iowa State because when he makes shots, they become really difficult to beat because they're obviously not the best offensive team, like I said, but they are a really, really good defensive team, one of the 10 best in the country. So it's obviously impressive that when you've got a guy that you feel like you can make a sh- that can make shots for you, and Kalsher's that guy, um, that they're going to be really tough to beat. Holmes obviously had a really good game. Um, I thought Lipsy was really good in the first half. I thought he gave a lot of troubles to Noel when they're one-on-one matchups. Just Marquise really struggled with the speed and athleticism that Lipsy had. I know he missed a box out on him once. I know he got beat off the dribble a couple times as well. Uh, but Holmes obviously goes off for one of his best games of the year with – 23 points and um, has seven assists. So he was awesome. But to me, Mason, I think the biggest storyline now turns into K-State's inability to defend like your traditional big men. And I wrote a story on this um, that you can find on the front page about K-State's struggles to defend traditional bigs. We saw the success that Eddie Lampkin had dating back to the non-conference. Uh, we saw the success that Manny Bates at Butler had. 
Um, and then Osuno Suni replicates it um, for Iowa State again, finishes with 16 points, six of 11 from the field, or yeah, eight of 11 from the field, goes to the free throw line, um, you know, 11 times. So makes eight of those attempts. And I think 10 of his points came in the last five or four and a half minutes of the game. Uh, so K State's inability to defend the interior is definitely something that's become mean, in my opinion, a major concern for this team. And it's something that I'm interested to see what improvement they make with Colin Castleton in Florida coming to town on Saturday. And even though Colin Castleton isn't, you know, your big bodied big, Colin Castleton is somebody who is a two-time all SEC player. He's got good skill around the rim. He's a really good shot blocker on the defensive side. So it's an interesting matchup for K-State. And I wrote in the preview, which you just published that, again, you can go on the website and read. I think K-State's getting like – a poor man's version of Iowa state on Saturday against Florida, a really good defensive team, a top 15 team in the defensive metrics, but an even worse offensive team. Um, but they have some important players and guys like Castleton, like I said. So I think it's a good time to get a team like Florida and see what improvements you can make between a Tuesday and Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you talk about Castleton, like he's not, he's not like a traditional big, but the dude's still pretty large. Like he's 6'11, 240 is what they have him listed at. And that's certainly enough to give K-State some trouble down there. And, I, you know, I thought it was weird watching the game. Like, we know K-State struggles defensively. We kind of saw in the game against KU, um, we had discussed it beforehand about, like, is Bebe Isiola, like, how playable is he in that game? Well, we, we kind of quickly learned that, like, they, they're going to go to Ish Masood over Bebe in certain circumstances because I guess they feel like, Ish can maybe catch up a few more times than what Isiola can, and also Ish is going to provide a lot offensively um, as he's playing now. But he had a really tough game defensively for K-State, and I thought it was weird. I, I noticed this watching the game, and it felt like for whatever reason, defensively down low, and again, K-State struggles there anyways, and I know Jerome Tang said this after the game, so that made me feel, you know, it, I don't know, made me feel good that I saw this, but it also makes me feel a little worrisome about where things are going in the future. It felt like watching that game that K-State, for whatever reason, were instead of forcing guys to their left, they were forcing guys to their dominant side to the right. And it didn't matter what side of the basket they were on. You know, I, I get it a little bit more if you're on the, the one side of the basket and you think if you're forcing them right, then you're also going to get some help from the baseline. But that also means you have to get them all the way under there for that really to make any difference. And I, I thought that was weird. And Jerome Tang mentioned it after the game that um, for some reason it seemed like they were forcing guys to their right and, and to the opposite side that, that, that they actually wanted to. And that's something that caused a, a giant issue in the game. I mean, uh, you talked about the way Iowa State was able to, to do things inside. Um, what I mean, Usini, he, he had a huge game. Like him having 16 points um, was, was tough to see for K-State to handle. And he made his free throws in the game too. I mean, he was like a 65% shooter going in. He goes 8 of 11. That's a little bit better than what you would expect out of a, a, a dude that shot what he did. Um, and then they had other guys that just hit timely shots. Like you talked about Kalsher and what he was able to do. He had early on, he was on a tear. And he, in a way, some of the shots he takes are similar to what Barry Brown would do for K-State, where Gabe Kalsher takes certain shots that for a lot of other guys – you're like, okay, I'm okay with living with that. Like, let let him have that. Like, that's not a great shot, um, especially some of, like, the deep mid-range stuff that he takes. He takes a lot of deep twos and, and just kind of just gets it up there. 
But at some point, you have to realize, like, he makes those shots on a consistent basis. That's part of his game. You got to find a way to stop that a little bit better. So the defense was not great for K-State. And then another element to it, again, is they just get hammered when it comes to uh, offensive rebounds. I mean, they weren't offensive rebounded out that much. It was 9-6 to was the difference. But what Iowa State was able to do with those rebounds is much different than what K-State was able to because Iowa State wins the second chance points battle 17-7. to In addition to that, I talked about Marquise Noel and the turnovers early on. Another issue, and this is something that K-State has had problems with at various points this season. They've been a little bit better with it as of late, but they turn the ball over 14 times, and on points off turnovers, Iowa State gets 25. K-State forced 13 Iowa State turnovers. The Wildcats only got 13 points off of those. So Iowa State's almost getting two points for every turnover that K-State had. Meanwhile, K-State's only getting about one point for every turnover Iowa State had. So that's significant, uh, the way that it ends up working out. And I I don't know how K-State fixes that because it wasn't necessarily um, like just immediately Iowa State was striking with fast break points in the game. But K-State had a lot of live ball turnovers where you got to get back down onto the floor. You got to find position. You got you to gotta lock into a lot of things. And K-State struggled. So uh, really, to me, the two things that stand out, and K-State's got to do this to, to be more consistent and to win games like this in the future. Actually, there's three things, but one of them, it's pretty simple, and people talk about it all the time. It's you got to make your free throws. They had been shooting free throws a little bit better as of late. However, in this game, they were 68%, and they missed quite a few like trips where they end up going one of two or whatever. Got to make your free throws because if you do that, you win the game. Iowa State was able to do so. That's how they ended up winning. And then the two big ones. Turnovers are going to happen. And it's not like, you know, in college basketball, 14 isn't like the highest of numbers. Like you'll see some teams, they'll crank that sucker up to about 16, 18, 20 in a game. But make sure that your turnovers aren't just like dumb plays. And that's what I felt like Marquise Noel had early on. And it led to those live ball turnovers where there's no stoppage. You can't get back easily. Instead, you're having to scramble and everybody's just trying to have to pick out where they need to be. And then obviously, kind of like what you wrote about and and some of the things that we've noticed, they've got to find a way to – I don't know that they're going to become a better rebounding team uh, in the way things sit right now, but they're going to have to do a better job of if you give up an offensive rebound, making sure that you're ready to play like secondary defense off of that. Um, And and I think that was another big issue. So they end up getting outscored as a a whole. Um, They get outscored – 42 to 20 if you combine second chance points and turnovers uh points off turnovers and that's the difference in this game so we'll see how k-state is able to correct it i imagine because they saw some more glaring things the coaching staff that is in this game against iowa state that hopefully we'll see a little bit of a better performance in those categories this weekend against florida kind of and like what you said florida's a a good matchup i think coming off a game like that it's not like you're having to go and face, you know, Texas or Kansas off of that game, but you're going to get a team that is no slouch, and I, I think that's important to get pushed a little bit, and you can kind of feel yourself through this uh, a little bit easier, and hopefully it gets them prepared for a big test on Tuesday in Lawrence. Yeah, and just can kind of continue to expound off that. A, a lot of second chance points obviously come at the rim because it's offensive rebounds, and you're right there. Um, I, I wrote this in the story that I referenced a little bit earlier too. Um, K-State's number 157 in the country and two-point field goal percentage is a defense at 49 and a half. That's obviously not great. Like, that's middle of the pack. There's about 350, 360 
Division one team, so you'd like to be good at that area, but they're even worse when it comes to block rate, which is 203 in the country. Um, obviously, Naquan Tomlin's not an elite shot blocker. Bebe is far from an elite shot blocker, and I don't know if Ish has more than like two or three blocks on the season at this yeah. point. Uh, but I think the most eye-opening stat um, to me that I was able to kind of put into this story, and it comes from Synergy, is that K-State's given up 1.276 points per possession at the rim. Um, and opponents are making over 61% of their shots at the rim. And that ranks 17th in the person or that ranks um, in the 17th percentile nationally for K-State's rim defense. Like that's really, really, really bad. Um, they need better rim protect, better rim protection from guys like Naquan Tomlin. They need more out of particular, in my opinion, like they need more out of Bebe defensively, but Bebe is just really easy to take advantage of if you're an opponent, um, especially with the type of defensive schemes that K-State plays. They switch a lot. So it's easy to get Bebe switched on to a guard. This is something that Iowa State did a few times. Um, and you just have to get that guard. Um, that's a good ball handler to attack him off the balance. He's going to get be able to create enough space, whether that's at the high post for a mid-range jumper, or he's going to get to the rim and either finish around his length or he's going to get fouled. Uh, so mm -hmm. they need better production defensively from Bebe. And I think maybe one area we're getting David Gasson back healthy and Jerome Tang said after the game that, he decided not to play him just because it was one of those situations where he felt like the moment was a lot, um, just maybe not completely ready to be there. And that's something that we've seen Tank do a couple times this season, Mason, is um, you know, guys have come back from injuries and they've been held out maybe an extra game, even though they were dressed on the bench because it's a big time environment. And Tang wants to allow them to kind of like slowly work back in and not be in a big time environment and opportunity where you have a high level opponent uh, to play. I mean, we saw Gasson play a few minutes against mm -hmm. Texas Tech. Obviously, Texas Tech is now, I think, 0 and 8 in the Big 12 after losing to West Virginia on Wednesday night. Bottom feeder of the league. But Iowa State's a really good team. So it, the way Tang kind of handles that stuff is interesting to me. Um, and maybe something worth doing a story on. But well, it's weird. Because... The biggest thing with getting David Gasson back is you'll see some improvement defensively just because Bebe's not a great defender. He's so limited in the things that he can do defensively because. A lot of times those guys who maybe are thinner like Bebe is can kind of step out and defend on the perimeter, but he's not the fleetest of foot at this point mm -hmm. in his career. Um, he never really has been, but he's also not physical on the inside. So if you match him up against a traditional big like Eddie Lampkin, like Osuno Suni, um, and I, maybe even to a point Colin Castleton on Saturday, like I think he's going to struggle just because he's not someone who likes to play with a ton of physicality and to look forward, even big picture, like, this season has been dubbed the year of the big in college basketball. At least it was in the preseason with the Almanac, which is this obviously great college basketball mm -hmm. preseason magazine. K-State's in a position where I think they're probably going to end up closer to a three or a four seed. And if they ended up having to play a team like, I don't know, Indiana um, in the second round and Trey Jackson Davis is your matchup, yeah. I would be terrified of having to go up against someone like TJD if I was a K-State fan because like Trace has shown over the last two weeks that he can go for – 25 and 20 or 30 well, and 15 at, at any time you it, want. It's scary to think about because, I, I mean, you, you think of teams that are lurking in some of these spots. Or, and again, this UConn. is a long way out. I mean, UConn is one of them with Sonogo, but also like North Carolina is flirting around with it again. And I can't imagine how K-State would have any way of stopping Armando Baycott. Like there are a lot of teams and, and people will know these teams because they're big name schools that are out there right now that are, are going to be flirting around, you know, that six to seven seed line or maybe even lower than that, like with, you know, in a 10 range. 
that you could get a really bad matchup. And that's that at this point is, I think, the only thing that would, would hold you back from thinking that K-State is a, a second weekend team without any doubt. Because if they get a good matchup, I, I don't see anybody beating this K-State team because we've talked about it. Noel and Johnson are going to be the two best te- two best players on the floor in a lot of games they play. The only thing that K-State is really missing now is just one big that you can rely on that doesn't have to play all-world defense and just shut guys down at the rim, but at least there needs to be that threat. And against teams that have legitimate like big men inside, K-State has really struggled this year in that regard. So yes. we'll, we'll see what it looks like moving forward. And the one thing I was going to add is, you know, you're talking about holding Gasson out and how Jerome Ting approached that. What's weird to me is, it was like the total opposite philosophy of what TJ Otzelberger had, where they said on the game broadcast, they're like Caleb grill going tonight. And TJ Otzelberger basically conceded like, Hey, he's, he may not and probably won't play in the game at Missouri now over the weekend, but they would have rather have had grill go for their game against K state, as opposed to the game this weekend. Whereas it seems like the approach with Tang is, Hey, we're going to ease Gasson back into it, not throwing him out into an environment like that. And we don't know. We don't know if we'll see him tomorrow or not against Florida. But it does seem like it's more of a likelihood that he plays in that game. Um, and then maybe the goal is to hopefully have him healthy to to a point where he can give you legitimate minutes against Kansas on Tuesday, which would help in some regard because for K State, you're getting a key piece to your lineup back that KU didn't see any of in that first game. So you can add a little bit of a wrinkle there. Um, but just kind of fascinating to see how it was handled by the two different coaches. And just to kind of go back to the bracket thing, and I hate how college basketball discussion and dialogue for most of the year turns into bracket breakdowns and projections. And I'm not even someone who likes to look at bracketology at this point in the year. I don't really like looking at it until, I don't know, like mid to late February, because I feel like that's when we really get a good picture of where teams are. Um, K-State is right now projected to be on the three line. Um, mm-hmm. So you're looking at – a. 6-11 matchup right in the second round. Yeah. So teams on the sixth line, they cut. That case. I'm looking. I just looked. Uh, one of the teams on the 11 line right now is Kentucky. So Oscar yeah. Shibway would also be a problem. That And that's what I'm talking about with this. And I'll let you go after this and with your point. But like that's what I'm talking about is, unfortunately, the teams that are, I guess, underachieving, a lot of the time teams underachieve in college basketball is because college basketball ultimately is like you need good guards. Like you need guards that can score and make plays. So these teams that underachieve at points in the regular season are the teams that are typically built around big men. Because if those big men aren't going off and having unstoppable performances, and that's why Indiana has been better lately because Trace Jackson Davis is playing even better than he was. Obviously Purdue, like nobody can stop Zach Eady. But those teams built around big men, they will have moments where they slide. And we saw that with Kentucky. Like they had to figure some stuff out with guard play. And that, and that's why K-State might end up getting one of those really bad matchups in the second round, whether they're a two or a three. Yeah, so just like looking at teams on the 11 line, and this is from Bracket Matrix, like Maryland doesn't really have a great big, but they do have some good guard play. Um, Northwestern doesn't really have a big that they should be scared of. Neither does Nevada. Ohio State has Zed Key, and I question mm-hmm. if Ohio State's really actually going to get in at this yeah. point, considering the struggles that they've had. Um, it, they're not projected by a lot of people to get in right now. They're flirting with last four in territory. But to look at like the seven line, so if K-State were to fall um, a little bit and these teams were to hold serve, listen to the teams on the seven line. Illinois, Dane Danger, I know he's not a big name, but he's a thicker body. He's someone who's 
fairly skilled. Like, I don't think that that's a great matchup um, for K-State on the inside. Indiana, we talked about Trace Jackson Davis. You pointed out North Carolina and Armando Baycott. That sounds terrifying to me if I was a K-State fan. In Michigan State, they've got Maddie Sissoko, who's not very good, but like good athlete, thick, is really physical. And that's just another guy like you don't really want to have to go against, I think, if you're K-State. And, you know, I've said this in the past on the podcast. I've said this to other people evaluating this Kansas State team. I think there's a very good chance like you get to the NCAA tournament, they're going to have the two best players on the court and Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. And I think Keontae has been listed as a midseason transfer All-American by a few outlets. And I know Marquise was just listed as a second team All-American by the athletic midseason team. So that kind of holds true with what those guys have done this year. And if they continue to maintain that production, it's going to continue to hold true. But all of that can be thrown out the window immediately when the other team has a dominant big man like a QJD, like an Armando Baycott, because it becomes so easy for that big to just go for 30 and 15 um, against a team like K-State. Now, K-State can kind of scheme those guys out on the other end um, with their offensive ability. Um, and those guys maybe lack of ability on the defensive end to guard ball screens and step out on the perimeter and do those different kinds of things. Right. But at the same time, I don't know if I think K-State's elite enough offensively to scheme those guys out, if that makes sense. So I'm really interested to see what happens. And I think K-State's in an interesting spot where matchups are going to become really important to them, um, particularly in this year of college basketball in the NCAA tournament, because there are so many great bigs across the country and, it, the NCAA tournament comes down to matchups every single year for every single team. But I agree with you. I think this is a team that you should feel good about them making it to the second weekend. If they don't have to go against a big across them on a bracket that is yeah. really gifted and really talented. And maybe K-State evolves and kind of figures some of these things out. Think back earlier in the year, they really struggled with turnovers and they've really kind of improved on that area. So if maybe Nacon Talon turns into a better rim protector, maybe they're able to do some things with maybe a Giola and maybe David Gasson's, reemergence into the rotation is something that becomes really valuable for them. Yeah, I think it's going to be important. Uh, final note on the Iowa State game, and it goes to what we were just talking about, Iowa State shot almost 70% on their two-point attempts in the game on uh, on Tuesday. So if you're you're giving up like that easy of a bucket uh, on two-point attempts, you're just going to have a, a tough time there. So I think moving forward for K-State, one of the things that can help is obviously we'll see what it looks like when Gasson gets back out there. That's going to be important. But I think another piece of this, and the thing that you hope the most of, is Naquan Tomlin taking some, some bigger steps now. Like we've seen, we've seen some significant steps, but then it's kind of just been like a, a waiting in place thing. I, I think this team needs at some point over these next 10 games of the regular season that they have, you need Naquan Tomlin to find some role in some way to where he can step up and take his game to another level. And I really think that one of the ways to do that is um, obviously you would like a little bit more of a punch from him offensively than what you get some games. It's just kind of inconsistent at different points. Um, But a a really big deal is he's got to be able to rebound the basketball better right now. And he also has to find a way to defend inside with his length better. Uh, He's gotten into foul trouble at various points. He he can kind of get muscled around at times. Uh, I think that's an important step. I mean, Naquan Tomlin, uh, Ish Masood, and Bebe Isiola, they combined for zero rebounds on Tuesday night in Ames. And I'm sure at this point everybody has heard that, but again, it, it needs to be repeated that K-State's three biggest individuals they had on the floor uh, against Iowa State 
came away with zero total rebounds on Tuesday. And that's just not going to get it done. So I think whether it's, you know, worrying less about like your technical standpoint of, hey, get a body on somebody, block out, get a rebound that way. Even if K-State has to be a little bit more aggressive and have a guy like Naquan Tomlin, and this is a little scary because he, he can be reckless with his fouling, but he's so athletic and so much more skilled than some guys like, Try to use some of that length and athleticism to be aggressive with going to grab a rebound when it comes down as opposed to just kind of sitting and waiting. And I think, I mean, at this point in college basketball, like that's got to be one of the, the easiest ways to sum up what's happened to K-State is I think there's just a lot of sitting and waiting for the ball to come to them. They got to get aggressive now with going to get the basketball. And this is something that you, you probably wouldn't know um, because you obviously weren't following K-State on a day-to-day basis. But this was a conversation that, like, Bruce Weber had to have with Dean Wade, uh, like, around his sophomore, junior year, and even into his senior year, where he basically, like, made it pretty cut and dry to Dean Wade. He's like, yeah, you're a really good player, but here's what you need to do. You need to be more aggressive in, in, in going for the basketball and getting rebounds. Like, you can be a good rebounder and do a lot of good things. And, and eventually like Dean Wade did take that step forward where he got better at rebounding the basketball. He was, he was under five rebounds a game. He was at four and a half his sophomore year at K state. And then in his last two years at K state, he was averaging closer to six and a half uh, rebounds per game. And so that's one of those things that I think is important for K state here is that they're just going to have to, to tell these guys be more aggressive and going after it. I know that Jerome Tang talked about that, uh, in regards to like Ish Masood after the game. So we'll see how it looks moving forward for him. And, and that's why, um, as we, we dive a little bit more into Florida, why Florida is a good challenge because, like I said, they're, they're not one of these top teams that's going to come in here and just be able to totally overpower K-State. But Colin Castleton pro- provides like a really solid um, testing matchup for K-State uh, to where they can kind of try and implement some of the changes that I'm sure they've talked about ever since uh, Tuesday night happened. Yeah, and to kind of go off of your point with Nikon in Big 12 play, he's averaging eight and a half or 8.8 points a game um, and over five rebounds. But in the last three games, he has six total rebounds, I think it is. Um, mm-hmm. No, that's not right. And wait, let me look. Yeah, in the last the last two games, sorry, he has two total rebounds. Um, so he only had two rebounds against Tech. He obviously has zero rebounds against um, Iowa State on Saturday or on Tuesday. Um, and in the two games before that, he had 10. So he's shown an ability to get on the rebound. And again, like he has a size advantage against someone like KJ Adams on the inside. And he struggled with um, fouls against Kansas and he still was able to get 10 rebounds. And I know that game went to overtime and I don't know how many he got in overtime. I'm not going to pull up the box for it, but getting 10 rebounds for him is impressive. Like I think Naquan's someone who you want to be able to see closer to seven to eight rebounds a game, maybe than the five and a half to six that he's kind of averaging right now. Um, so getting more out of him on the glass, I think is huge because I don't think you're going to get it out of ish. Like ish isn't someone who's crashed the glass. They've talked about this a lot and Ish's improvement mm-hmm. this season has been remarkable. It's been very notable, particularly as a shooter. And, um, it's why you saw him get so many minutes on Tuesday against Iowa state is he's earned a way into being a really good role player for this team. And I think he's flirting with being the six and a half man for this team or taking, a role from Desi Sills is potentially being the first man off the bench. If that were to become something where K-State decides they want to go for a shooter off the bench instead of a ball handler off the bench um, before that first meeting timeout or coming out of that first meeting timeout. But Naquan's someone that they need to be able to rely on to get rebounds uh, because their best rebounder right now is Keontae Johnson. And that's great. Like you want to be able to have a wing that you can re- rely on to get 
rebounds and crash the glass for offensive opportunities and second chance points and to be able to start the break on the defensive side. But you need Naquan to be able to get on the glass because he's someone who can do a lot of those things as well. Because if he gets it, he can turn and go and you can get on it onto the break. And I know this is a K-State team that wants to play fast if they get the ability to do that. And going back to right before Big 12 play started, Jerome Tank talked about, he was like, I don't know if it's in our best interest to play fast against teams that are more talented than us. Okay, well, now that we've seen K-State continue to develop in Big 12 play, we know that this is a K-State team that's a top three, four team in the league. So there are very few teams I think K-State should be playing slower than strategically because they've shown that they can compete with anyone in this league, uh, playing at a pace that they want. So all those things kind of considered, yeah, like I think that Naquan Tomlin is the biggest guy that they need to circle to get on the glass because Ish is someone who I just don't think you can count on for it at this point. He's obviously turned into a really good shooter, about 50% league play from the perimeter. Um, but you just can't count on Bebe to be yeah. a great rebounder because he doesn't have the physicality on the inside. And not that Naquan is the most physical person either, but you can trust him a little bit more just because there's more talent there. Yeah. Yeah. He can, you can have him be more aggressive and he can make some things happen. Whereas like you don't, I, I don't know that you necessarily want to tell like Bebe to, Hey, go after the ball a little bit more. Like he needs, Bebe has to play a more technical game. And, and that's what, like, that's the area that he has served K State this year and why he's been really good for him at times is because I think he's a really smart player in, in a lot of like categories. I think offensively, he knows where he needs to get to. I think that's why, even though he looks like he's maybe slower than some out there, why he can still run the floor well for him at times is I think he knows where to get to the right spots. He does need to learn a little bit more defensively, though, where he needs to get to. I, I think he drifts a lot, and that's where a lot of issues come for them stopping inside. Um, and ultimately, like it would be nice if Ish could just grab a couple of rebounds for K-State because ultimately, if he grabs a couple of rebounds against Iowa State on Tuesday, then there is a pretty good chance that um, he, he is able to come through and, and K-State ultimately ends up winning that game. But if he continues to provide what he's doing offensively for him, I'm not so concerned about him getting rebounds because I think his offense will still outweigh some of the issues that he has defensively. But that's why a guy like Naquan Tomlin with that skill probably needs to step it up a, a little bit more. Well, so, and just to kind of continue off the fact here, like Bebe only played six minutes in the second half at Iowa State. Like, I think you're starting to see that Jerome Tank doesn't want him on the floor in comparison to other players, whether that's Ish, whether that's, David Yassan coming back. Like, I think that he would prefer to keep Bebe off the floor if possible. And I think mm -hmm. Gabe and he I were played, talking about the draft. Played, he only played eight minutes in the second half against Texas Tech. Yeah. And I, I'm happy you looked that up because I was going to as well. But Gabe said it really well to me on the drive up to Ames. And we were talking about how David Yassan hasn't been playing because he's been hurt. And obviously now we think he could be progressing pretty close, pretty quickly to being back on a consistent basis. He said, um, and this isn't a quote, but paraphrasing, he said, I think the biggest loss that K-State has of losing David Gassan to injury was the increased minutes for Bebe. And it's hard to disagree with that, in my opinion, because of the struggles that he has on the interior um, and his inability to like step out and space the floor like David Gassan can do on the offensive end. Like, um, you know, it's not like Bebe is an elite screener. It's not like Bebe is elite in Excuse me. Well, Bebe gets a lot of moving screens too. So yeah, he he doesn't get a lot of great actions and pick and rolls, or he doesn't finish at the rim through those things. I mean, he's he only had 
Um, one made field goal in the second half against Iowa State. And real quick, he had, let's see. Um, yeah, that was his only field goal. So he's not he's not a scoring threat. And it's not like David Hassan's a great scoring threat either, but he's just a, he fits what they want to do a lot better, in my opinion. And I know this kind of comes off as me smashing Bebe Igiolo, and I don't want it to come off that way, but I just think that getting David Gasson back would be better for this team um, in a minutes allocation aspect because I think it makes their front line a lot better, in my opinion, and deeper. Yeah. Well, I, I think to, to what you're saying, like, I, the, yeah, the, the goal of this isn't the Also, bash. I just saw a cop do a U-turn in the middle of the street. Love it when cops do illegal things. <laughs> uh, me too. You know, when, uh, but anyways... I, I like I'm with you. This is not to bash baby Giola because uh, I think he does provide a role for this team. And I, he's been better Absolutely. this year than what I, I expected and what I gave him credit for. Uh, but, but what I will say is like, there's a reason why he played two seasons of basketball at Stetson one at Hofstra. And when he was at Arkansas for a season, he only, you know, there, he only pl- played in one game. Now I know that there's been um, maybe some injury stuff in the past, but again, like there's a reason that guys are at certain levels and those guys can contribute in certain regards to this level, but not to the, the same extent. And that's why, like, I, I focus about this a lot on the football side of it, um, but it, it has its place in basketball, too. So many times, injuries aren't necessarily about the guy that you're losing. It's about the guy that has to step up next. And that's yeah, like losing Zeke and you have to settle for Tony Pollard as your leading running back. Right? Uh, that's a little bit different because if uh, the Cowboys lost Zeke, I think they'd be playing for an NFC championship now. Um, Cause you know, a lot of other things probably would have worked out their way in, over the course of the season, but like that, that's where they're at right now. And I, I think getting Gasson back, you're going to be able to see like, he, he can do a few more things. He can move a little bit better, and he can be a guy that you try to get to be a little bit more aggressive and try to do some more things when it comes to the glass. And then, uh, again, like, it's not necessarily me saying that he's going to be worlds above what the defensive level is in right now for the bigs at K-State, but the hope would be, and you can kind of project that there would be a little bit better um, minutes that he can provide you than what they've gotten so far. So we'll see what it looks like, and uh, I know a lot of people are probably hoping that he's out there tomorrow uh, I, I assume we see him tomorrow I just don't know what the capacity will be and if we'll see him close to regular minutes and then hopefully uh, Tuesday that they have a a more full strength David Gasson because that's going to be I mean that's going to be a tough battle for him on Tuesday like KU is going to want to get that thing back uh, KU is going to want to try to pick up a win um, because who knows what happens this weekend in Lexington with how things are, are moving and everything and that means they'll have gone over a week without winning in that building. So uh, I expect a, a pretty fired up and inspired KU performance there. So that's this weekend's big for K-State. We'll see how it ends up going down and uh, where things move on. Outside of Colin Castleton, because we mentioned his name quite a bit, um, I mean, Florida is, is, is guard heavy after that. You look at that, the next four leading scorers after Castleton are all guards. They only have one other guy that's in double figures throughout each game. Um, so you, you go pretty low on the list of where, where they play big men at. Um, Alex Fudge is the second leading minutes getter out of bigs, and he's only just over 20 minutes a game for Florida. So this is a matchup that outside of Castleton um, looks to be pretty good for K-State. Not only are they the better team overall, but just matchup-wise, similar to what we talked about with the Kansas situation earlier, uh, Florida's a team that matches up fairly well for K-State. Yeah, and like I said in the preview, and like I said a little bit earlier here on the pod, um, I think that 
it, it's kind of funny that the type of teams that K-State's played in back-to-back, back-to-back games, um, you know, not great offensively, uh, but also at the same time really good on the defensive side. So I, I actually do think it's kind of an interesting matchup and we'll get a good opportunity to see the type of improvement that K-State makes before going against a Florida team that, um, quite frankly, I don't think is very good. They're on the outside looking in um, of the tournament, but they do have some interesting pieces. Like you said, Calson's at the top of that list, uh, but they do have some interesting guard play with guys like Myron Jones, Will Richard, um, and Kyle Lofton was a pretty big transfer addition from St. Bonaventure. Um, and considering what the last St. Bonaventure guard did to K-State on Tuesday, that's obviously yeah. Holmes at Iowa State. You're going to want to defend the St. Bonaventure transfer a little bit better if you're K-State to have a little bit more success. But um, you kind of put all these things together, and it's a good opportunity for K-State to get a win that they don't need by any stretch of the imagination for the Big 12 race. But it's a loss you definitely don't want to take on your home court. Um, I would imagine it's a Q2 loss. I need to look where Florida's at in the net at this point. Um, but yeah, uh, well, let me check, guys, since I check the net daily. Do you really? Uh, I don't check no, the net I don't. at all. I, I do don't. not well, like the net. What's funny about the net is K-State, they, they've been winning games and their net ranking kept going down, but their net ranking did improve the day after losing to Iowa State. So I that's, don't like the net. It doesn't make sense for <laughs> me. Teams lose and they go up. And yeah. It, it makes no sense to me. There's Especially conference games. Like, you got to play them anyway, so I, I don't know. Um, so let's see here. K-State right now, you got to go sort through all this. Uh, Florida, yeah, Florida would be a quad two game right now. Um, and, and there's no chance Florida moves up to a quad one, uh, with how the, the system works. There's only the chance that if Florida really falls off, they could end up as a quad three game. So, um, likely a, a quad two game for K-State. So obviously a game you need to win on your yep. home court. It's a game you don't want to have on your resume. Um, that is a blemish. So yeah, it's a good opportunity for K-State. And again, I, we talked about this on a previous podcast, but you look at some of the other matchups in the, in the big 12 SEC challenge, um, they're not necessarily super favorable to the SEC or to the big 12. Is that what it is? I, I forget which way they, they went. Um, let me pull it back up here. Sorry. What are, what are you saying? Well, the big 12 SEC challenge this weekend. Um, I thought we decided that one conference got, yeah, it was the, the SEC got advantageous matchups with yeah the Auburn SEC going to West Virginia, yeah. Bama going to Oklahoma, TCU, um, and then and then the t- the games that are like the tough ones outside of Florida having to go to K State, like Texas is in Knoxville, uh, yeah. KU is in Lexington, like and then Iowa State has to go to Columbia. Like Missouri's not playing great right now, but the fact that Iowa State has to go on the road for that game that adds a little bit of a, mm-hmm. a wrinkle to it. Texas Tech, I mean, it sucks for Tech because. They they are too good to be like a team with the record they have right now. Ultimately, that sounds stupid because you know you are what you your are record what your is. Record says you are. But like, what if that rank in the all time sports quotes for you, if Tech if Tech was in another league, it's safe to say they would not be zero and eight right now. Oh man, it's, if they're in the Big Ten, they might be in second place. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, that's, they'd be in a log jam for second right now. Um, but it sucks for them that they have to go on the road to LSU. Like this is maybe the last chance to get like a little shot in the arm for their season. And they have to go on the road. Yeah, now, I think they beat LSU. Like seven or eight in a row. Yeah. I think they beat LSU, but I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how it ends well, up. Texas Tech has lost like seven or eight in a row. Cause they're zero and eight. In the football. Yeah. They've so, lost eight in a row. So something's got to give, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. But yes, the sec, I, I do think they kind of lucked out in this where uh, of the road games that the, the sec has to play. Two of them are Auburn at West Virginia and Alabama at Oklahoma. Um, certainly mismatches there. 
the, the Alabama Oklahoma one is a weird to me. How, how can we Alabama not have given might, Alabama, Alabama a better match? Does Alabama win by a larger mat by a larger margin than they did in the Kyler Murray playoff year? Um, hmm. what, what year was that? Nineteen. Oh no 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 that that team that team you're thinking of they got beat by LSU. Oh, you're bad. right. What year? And that was Jalen Hurts. Twenty twenty that they played Oklahoma and it was like twenty one to nothing before the ten minute mark. Um. Oh, in basketball, yeah. No, that no, was, no, no. In football, oh, I don't know. Uh, well, there was a there was an Orange Bowl where they got up pretty big early, but Oklahoma came back and made that a game. The only yeah, but it was over. Like it was never really a yeah, game. Yeah, but you know they made it competitive. The only year they really got throttled was the LSU year in, in twenty nineteen with Jalen Hurts. Uh, who you know the only two teams to be Oklahoma that season: national champions LSU and the Kansas State Wildcats. So you know, two best teams in college football. Um, I'm trying to find. Uh, no, right. Bama beat Bama beat Notre Dame that year. So fourteen. Oh, shocker! Notre Dame lost another playoff game by Did double. Did you see digits. my goal tweet this week? My Cole Junior tweet this week? Yeah. He, so uh, here's what I love about this: is that both K State and Notre Dame fans feel the same way about that season. Where Notre Dame <laughs> fans think if K State played in the national championship, Notre Dame would have won easy, and K State fans are convinced they would have won easy. I am in that same boat. I think if K State d- beats Baylor. They beat Notre Dame and they win a national championship in 2012, but uh, that did not happen. And good for Nick Saban, the you know the, the poorest man in college football. He got a little hand out that season. Uh, all right, let's let's go through these real quick and uh, talk. 45. Yeah, I'm thinking of the 2019 playoff. Bama played Oklahoma, so the 2019 playoff. It would have been the 2020 playoff yeah. with Alabama and LSU. The 2019 playoff. Alabama beat Oklahoma. 45 to 34, but they were up yeah. like 21 to nothing. Yeah. Like I think I was, that. I think I was at a K state basketball game when that was going on. And it was like a uh, great showing for the big 12. Um, couple of notes on the, the big 12. also lost that year, 30 to three to Clemson. So a couple notes on the big 12 sec challenge for, for K state. Um, they have every year, except for the COVID year of the uh, 2021 season, um, they have won all of their home games in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So you go back to 2019, K-State took down uh, – or 2018, they took down Georgia because 2019 they lost to Texas A&M uh, on the road. That was a weird deal. Uh, I'll explain that to you here in a second. And then you go back to 2016, K-State beat Ole Miss uh, in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. The year before that – or two years before that, they beat Ole Miss as well. So – Home games have treated K-State well in this challenge. They, how, they have, however, lost every single road game in the Big 12 SEC Challenge that uh, will conclude after this year. Uh, if you ever want to look at, like, you know, getting the schedule timed up correctly, Alec, go look at K-State in 2019 where they're in the midst of this really nice run. Uh, they ended up ripping off, like, nine straight Big 12 wins against all nine other teams in the league. The only thing that broke it up for them was in the middle of that nine-game winning streak, they lost at Texas A&M in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So it was almost like one of those games where you're due for a loss. And fortunately enough for K-State, they were due for a loss and they got to go play on the road uh, in Reed Arena as opposed to playing a conference game. Uh, And that likely saved them uh, winning a Big 12 championship. I would also like to point out uh, that I asked Bruce Weber prior to that game if – if it, there was like an issue with breaking up conference play to go on the road to face a team like Texas A&M or whatever, something to that effect. 
And Bruce basically shook it off and was like, no, it's, it's not a big deal. It doesn't impact us in any way. And then they got beat 65 to 53 by a terrible Texas A&M team. So point Mason, zero points for Bruce in that situation. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a little history on the big 12 sec challenge for uh, K state, the big 12 all time, uh, is 48 and 41 in big 12 sec challenges, but the league has not won the challenge since the 2019 season. So are you tied it? Not the best league in America. Well, uh, the matchups haven't favored them at, at all. Uh, but 2020 they tied it. And then the last two years, uh, at the sec has won it. So the big 12 looking to, uh, get the the last one in all of this uh okay. if, the, if the sec wins the challenge it will finish with a four four and two tie okay that, that's fun um the acc i think won the all-time acc big 10 challenge and that transitions me to my next question i think this can be our last one mm-hmm. uh so unfortunately the acc big 10 challenge is coming to an end um and then i think unfortunately as well the big 12 sec challenge is also mm-hmm. coming to an end those are fun and fun events um which conference would you like the big 12 to get a future scheduling event with uh i think there's a right answer to this by the way it's tough it's tough uh because so they already have the one with the big east in place how long Uh, does that go for uh i would have the big 10 has the gavit games with the big east and those are done after this season so those will not be a thing in the future uh the big 12 big east challenge is uh uh still going so that one is at least for now is through 2025 so um, this coming season and the following season, it's still on tap for. Um, my guess would be the two leagues extend that, especially since they're both going to have contracts with Fox the next time that it comes around. So it makes sense because uh, right now they do it in a pretty standard way where the road games at the Big East schools are on Fox networks and then the uh, home games for the Big 12s, they, those are on ESPN networks. So it is kind of a nice little marriage. Um, well, so the SEC one's going away. Uh, who was it that Scott told us that the Scott Wildcat told us that the they already have a contract in place, the SEC and the ACC and the SEC do? Okay, because they're both uh, exclusively on ESPN. I mean, I think I think it's got to be the Big Twelve and Big Ten. Then, like, I think that it one should would, be. I think be a lot that would fun. make a ton of sense. Like those, I, I think they would match up well. You don't have to go like out of your like your footprint of area, so it's not like you're asking in the middle of the season. Cause I guarantee you, they probably do it in the middle of the season. I don't know if they would do it. Yeah, they do it November, they do um, it November, December, but like, you, you know, you're not making them go all over the place. So I think that'd be good because the other reasons like the ACC and SEC, they haven't taken care of. And then the PAC 12, the, the big 12 is not going to be doing any business with the PAC 12 anytime soon. There's I kind of would like it if they did though. I mean, it would be kind of fun, but then also like the PAC 12, George Klyovkov doesn't want a bunch of schools just coming to Big 12 country and go, hey, this is kind of nice. What if we stamp the Big 12 logo on our floor instead of the PAC 12 one, you know? So, what if it's vice versa? That won't happen. That won't happen. <laughs> no, the, no, you're going to, if, if there's a merger ever, the PAC 12 is going to have to conform to the Big 12. The Big 12 is not going to conform to the PAC 12. So, but it's a conference of champions, baby. Do you watch, not, you, do you watch, not once all their night? champions leave. Did you watch USC and UCLA last night? Uh, I was going to, uh, but then, you know, when Michigan couldn't get the job done against Purdue and my parlay fell apart, I had zero interest in watching USC beat UCLA. So you didn't have to watch Arizona and Wazoo then either? No, I didn't. I only or saw the Arizona clip State. where I only saw the clip where Arizona missed the dunk right before the end of the game to go up like uh yeah, 10, cover. And then Washington State hit a meaningless three to, to cover. So uh, no, I didn't last night, but I've watched more of the of the Pac-12 lately, so I'm getting into it for you it's guys. It's entertaining. 
It's entertaining. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with you. I definitely think it should be the Big Ten. The only issue with it being the Big Ten, I know the Big 12 is expanding back up to uh, 12 teams starting in 2025 um, mm-hmm. at the latest, is that you're going to have four teams not playing in it. But right now, um, you already don't have an even... Yeah, the, I mean, the SEC already has four teams sit it out this year. The, so, the Big East has to have teams sit it out, so... It's not that big of a deal. Um, I do think it would be cool, and I know we kind of got into this on Twitter with Scott Wildcat. I think it was... Um, for at least one year, you'd have all 16 teams playing in it, which I yeah. think is a lot of fun, and that's cool. But there's obviously some good games you can make between the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, obviously, we saw KU in Indiana this year. That's a fun one. Um, just storyline matchup. You could bring Brad Underwood back to um, Manhattan. I know that's something that you'd yeah. probably enjoy. Uh, you could send – let's see, who else is still going to be in here? Uh, Michigan and – yeah, Mich- Michigan would be fun. UCLA and Kansas, people would sign up for that, I would yeah. imagine. Um, I think it'd be fun to to set this up in the future if possible. I, I think it makes a ton of sense. I mean, I at this stage, like the the Big Twelve and the Big Ten are to me the two clear best basketball conferences. Not, not just year. because, well, yeah, I mean that's the Big Ten might be actually the Big, Big Ten might be the some, second best league, and that's Big Ten's got lot. some depth to it though. It you know they they're just beating each other up a whole lot more than Don't some of the other leagues right Do now. Do not feed into the Big Ten is so good because it's because Team 13 can beat Team 2. No, the Big Ten's really bad because Team 2 can lose to Team 13. I agree with that. But, like, the ACC, I mean, when Clemson's leading your league, like, that doesn't say much to There's you. There's no one in the ACC I look forward to no. watching this season. Like, the, I'm like, man, that league sucks. Even, like, the teams in the Big East that are supposed to be good, it's kind of like, are they really good? Um, Xavier's fun to watch. Marquette's fun to watch. I, I like Xavier. Um, I, I don't know. Marquette, I just kind of feel like it's going to fall apart at some point. Uh, and then the SEC, like, they've got they've got some fun teams. I mean, Alabama's Hot awesome. Um, but, like, also they've got some teams underachieving, like Kentucky and Arkansas right now. So, I think it's the Big 12 and the Big 10. They've been the most consistent at it, too. So I think that'd be a fun. A you know, fun this matchup. is going to be the year that the Big Ten like gets nine teams in the Sweet Sixteen, gets two teams in the Final Four, and gets to the national champion. Yeah, like the year that everyone says the Big Ten sucks, they'll have be the year that they break through. We'll have like a we'll have a bad NCAA tournament where like a six or a seven seed is going to win it. Yeah, year. like a six or seven Big Ten team that no Probably. one really won. Probably this like the six or seven seed that beats K State in in the second round or whatever. Uh, that's yeah, probably like, how it's right. it'll be out. some team that yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. And Purdue will be the one. Purdue will be one of the eight or nine Big Ten teams in the tournament that loses um, in the first weekend. Like they'll be the one yeah. Big Ten team that loses in the first weekend. They'll all get to the Sweet Sixteen or whatever. Like they, it's just going to be such a wonky NCAA tournament. Okay, uh, final final things here with the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. Um, do, who do you think wins the challenge and what do you think the winning record of it is this year? Uh, because most of the time the winning record is just six and four. It's been pretty evenly matched. Uh, the only time somebody won at least seven games was the big 12 in the first year of it, uh, back in the 2013, 2014 season. Um, so that's, I guess the, the one thing to, to note with it. My guess is just going off of how this ends up looking right now. Um, I'm going to give the Big 12. I think I think uh, we're probably looking at six and four. I think the Big 12. There's a, a world where it can be seven and three, but that means that all the games have to go right for the Big 12, and you can't avoid like a real stinker. Um, so a seven three is not out of the question. But I think the Big 12 probably wins it or should win it six to four this year. 
So I'll do this game by game so people know the, know all the games. Uh, okay. Auburn at West Virginia. I think that's kind of a toss-up because I think Auburn's fraudulent and I think West Virginia I is actually decent. Um, so that that's a maybe. We don't know. Alabama's going to be in Oklahoma. Um, I think Iowa State at Mizzou is actually kind of like sneaky good because Mizzou's really good offensively and Iowa State's really good defensively. But yeah. vice versa, they're not very good at each thing. So honestly, that might be a little bit of a toss-up. I guess I'll side with Iowa State because I think defense tends to win. So we got um, one and one. With one toss up, uh, mm-hmm. I think Texas Tech goes on the road and wins at LSU. But if they don't, um, then then they've quit. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give the Big Twelve a two to one advantage with one toss up. TCU will go on the road and beat Mississippi State three to one. Big Twelve one toss up. Arkansas will lose at Baylor. Um, we're going to give the Big Twelve a fourth win with one toss up. Um, Texas is going to lose at Tennessee. Tennessee's defense is really good, so we give the SEC yeah. two wins. We got four to two now. Uh, K-State will beat Florida, as I predicted. So we got a 5-2 advantage for the Big 12. Kansas at Kentucky, man. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Like Kentucky looks good again. Um, Severe Wheeler hasn't played as many minutes, and they've started to look like a team that's good. They've started to shoot the ball a little bit better with Reeves and Frederick. Um, good luck trying to stop, stop Oscar Sheboy with K.J. Adams. Yeah. But, like, Kansas is due for a win. They like, haven't lost three in a row. What, is, what year is it? Since like an 80. Well, since four in a row now is where we're at. Or, yeah. yeah well, they haven't lost like four in a row since like the 80s or whatever. Um, I think that's a toss up, man. I, I okay. really do. I, I The line came out and Kansas was a one and a half point favorite. Uh, so I, I don't know. that I'm calling that one a toss up. I think Oklahoma okay. State beats. I think Oklahoma State beats Ole Miss. So even if the SEC gets those two toss up games, they still win. Yeah, you still got six to four. The Big, the Big 12. 12. So, yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll see where it goes. Uh, other a, final. If oh, you yeah. if you were a K State fan, do you want Kansas to beat Kentucky? Yeah, I I think I think in this weekend you want everybody. Well, actually, I think it's a win win. Honestly, I think it's a win win. Like either the Big Twelve like stacks it up, Kansas gets a, a much needed win, like it props them up a little bit. Because there's no way that night. Kansas loses five in a row. But also like six in a row at that point it, it would be kind of funny if they lost the fourth in a row so i i don't know like i i think that's a win-win situation if but Kansas ultimately it's five in a row because they've lost they've lost four in a row right they lost three in a row they this lost three in a row if they lose the kentucky yeah. before if kansas loses five in a row after like potentially dropping at uk and potentially against k-state and fog allen mm-hmm. uh, are we going to get a bill self hot hot seat tweet from you oh yeah i mean <laughs> yeah the, it's coming <laughs> don't worry about that um, another, another thing, like kind of thinking about, uh, some other things real quick, uh, Gene Taylor had his ask the AD come out recently, a couple of notes from that. He thinks that, um, this would mean next week, basically, cause the end of the month is coming soon, but he thinks by the end of the month is basically what he hinted at that the next football schedule will be out for the big 12. I'll hold my breath, but it seems like we might get that next week, which would be significant news. Uh, in addition to that, he also noted that the basketball court is at the end of its life, so K-State will be getting a brand-new court next season. Um, so that plays into uh, some of the mock-ups that have been floating around social media about possible new court designs. So uh, just a, a couple of notable things there uh, from the, the Ask the AD that Gene Taylor did uh, this, this week. So go watch that if you haven't. Uh, they do a great job with all that. They also talked about uh, – the, the lavender gear and how to try and get Nike to produce more of that for them. So we'll see how ultimately uh, it ends up going down. So we appreciate everybody for listening as always. And again, go get the preview and picks for the K-State Florida game up on email online right now. If you're not signed up, 
probably a good time to do it because the Wildcats are playing good basketball. Football's on a great hot streak in 2024-25 recruiting, starting to pick up some notable visitors there this weekend. Certainly something that you might want to go over to EMA online and check out to see who will be around Manhattan this week and uh, in the coming weeks with more news coming uh, that way. So go find us over at Rivals, EMA online, the K-State site, uh, to, to get you set up for everything else. And that'll do it for Alec and I. As uh, we get set for K-State in Florida tomorrow, we will be back on Monday to recap everything that went down between the Cats and Gators. Keontae Johnson faces his old team. I mean, what are the chances uh, of that happening? And then, of course, we will get ready for part two of the Sunflower Showdown between K-State and KU in Lawrence on Tuesday.